This is how we know we're facing a rough patch up ahead. John Kasich embodies Joe Biden's worst instincts. Despite his reputation, Kasich isn't nice or moderate, and his relationship with Biden validates progressives' worst fears. By Jude Ellison Sadie Doyle. If it were possible to gather all of Joe Biden's worst instincts together into one person, you'd wind up with John Kasich. Kasich, the former governor of Ohio, is Biden's Republican daemon, the avatar of the reasonable conservative that Biden, who sees himself as a reasonable centrist, keeps pledging to accommodate when he's in the White House. Kasich gained prominence in 2016 during his own failed presidential bid as the face of anti-Trump conservatives. He condemned Trump's crude manner and aggressive tactics and publicly declined the offer to be Trump's VP. His quaint personal style, a polite, mild-mannered, paternal type who was so shocked by cuss words that he tried to get Fargo banned from his local blockbuster, led outlets like Vox and 538 to deem him the anti-Trump. There were rumors that he would mount his own independent presidential run in 2020. That never happened. Instead, John Kasich joined forces with Biden and has been a mild-mannered, sweater-wearing barnacle on the side of the Democratic Party ever since. Kasich spoke at the Democratic National Convention, symbolically placed between two forking roads. He served as a surrogate for Biden throughout the general election. While Kasich was out campaigning for Biden, Politico was reporting that Biden was considering him for a cabinet slot. Quid pro quo? In the wake of Biden's win, Kasich has been the loudest voice pushing for moderation and compromise, by which he means moving to eliminate the progressive elements of the Democratic Party. Now is the time for Democrats to begin to listen to what the other half of the country has to say, he said on Sunday. The Democrats have to make it clear to the far left that they almost cost Biden this election. And we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you kids and that mangy dog. The next day, appearing on the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer, he once again blamed the left for Trump's success, warning that Trump appealed to people who were very worried about this rhetoric of defunding the police, this issue of socialism. Only in your wet dreams. The only Republican voters who worry about those things are the ones who tune in to mainstream media. Oh wait, I guess that's all of them. There is a certain symbiosis at work. In Biden, Kasich receives a vehicle for his continued ambitions, and in Kasich, Biden receives validation that critics of his bipartisan approach are wrong, that conservatives are reachable, and that he is uniquely positioned to make them cooperate with his agenda. That Biden seemingly continues to believe this, not just after seeing the relentless GOP obstructionism aimed at Barack Obama, but also after watching the Republican Party veer toward open fascism and deny the legitimacy of his win altogether, is frankly horrifying. This is me. I'd say it's more horrifying to some than to others, depending on how cushy they are and comfy they are. On with the story. Biden clings to the ideal of bipartisan government despite receiving very clear evidence that his opposition plans to destroy him. The last time Democrats underestimated Republicans' ruthlessness, we wound up with a strongman reality TV host in the Oval Office. Biden overestimates John Kasich. For one thing, Kasich knows very little about what it takes for Democrats to win elections. The state he was likely meant to deliver, Ohio, went to Trump, 
And though exit polls show Biden gaining some ground with college-educated whites, the white Republican vote as a whole largely stayed Republican. Moreover, Kasich is far from the moderate he's branded himself to be in recent years. He's a union buster who signed legislation that curbs collective bargaining and bans strikes, and once publicly vowed to break the back of Ohio teachers' unions. He told a voter concerned about Social Security cuts to get over it. In 2016, he was the single most anti-choice candidate in a field that included Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, and Trump himself. He publicly argued that the poisoning of children in Flint, Michigan was less objectionable than Hillary Clinton's private email server. Although, dear viewers and listeners, it's not difficult to imagine Hillary Clinton going to Flint and drinking the water like Obama did. When it comes to LGBTQ plus people, he tends to say the right things and do the wrong things. He attended a gay wedding, but did nothing to overturn Ohio's ban on gay marriage. He clucked his tongue at businesses discriminating against LGBTQ plus customers in Mississippi while allowing the same discrimination to remain legal in Ohio. John Kasich's one claim to being better than your average Republican is that he's nice. And even that might not be true. I'm from Columbus. John Kasich used to live across the street from my grandma. People in Ohio actively despise the guy. Local outlets refer to him as blunt and abrasive. He's feuded with everyone from teachers when they objected to all the union busting. He joked about outlawing their break rooms so they couldn't organize to traffic cops. After getting a ticket, he gave a near Trumpian speech ranting about the idiot responsible. You just can't act that way. He condescends to women. Famously, when a young woman tried to ask him a question at a town hall meeting, he responded by saying, I don't have any tickets for Taylor Swift. Within days of taking office as governor, he gave a luncheon at which he warned the assembled crowd, if you're not on the bus, we will run over you with the bus. And I'm not kidding. I hope Taylor Swift is suitably outraged by that. It's a long fall from Mr. Rogers to vehicular manslaughter, but it's not shocking. Kasich is an old-fashioned, Bush-style, compassionate conservative, in quotes, a culture warrior who can publicly perform a certain white, Midwestern, Christian respectability while still pushing policies that are brutal and punitive to working and marginalized people. That combination of affable persona and cruel policy shouldn't be new to anyone who's studied, for example, Ronald Reagan. It's not a departure from the Republican playbook. It is the Republican playbook. It was Trump, with his bluster and bad language, his open racism and sexism, his embrace of fascism and excuses for Nazis, who was the exception. Although, as we argued yesterday, Trump really wasn't the exception either. He was just a slightly different flavor of cruelty. On with the story. Biden's entire campaign to date has been premised on a return to normal, and what many people fear is that he means the bad parts of normal too. He does. That at worst, Biden wants to drag the party right, and at best, he values a version of politics that is long out of date, one where collegiality among powerful white men took precedence over real ideological disagreements or the urgent needs of the American people. Working with Kasich will only confirm those perceptions. It signals that Biden is more concerned with routing the insurgents within his own party, ding, 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 than he is with undoing the damage accrued under Trump. It will mean that he chooses to value the appearance of niceness or a cordial relationship with Republicans 
over the lives of his marginalized constituents or his duty to serve them. Most importantly, and most dangerously, it would mean that Biden doesn't understand what he's up against. Putting nicer conservatives in power doesn't fight Trumpism, it re-entrenches it, making it harder to fight because it has smoother branding and a less objectionable public front. Rather than the immediate, urgent crisis of Trump, which was so extraordinary people felt called to oppose him, we will experience a steadily silent creep toward right-wing extremism. In some ways, Democrats' embrace of Kasich is the ultimate proof of the damage Trump has inflicted. Think about that for a second. In some ways, Democrats' embrace of Kasich is the ultimate proof of the damage Trump has inflicted. He's shifted the Overton window so far right that now all a Republican has to do to seem moderate is to avoid being a Nazi. And all a Democrat has to do is be a moderate Republican. Democrats have been calling on each other to resist for four years now, but if John Kasich is the future of the Democrats, then the war is over. Biden got elected, but Trump is the one who won. Again, think about that. Biden got elected, but Trump is the one who won. Makes you feel proud to be part of the resistance. Now we turn to Lauren Martinchek's Is a Republican Senate Biden's dream come true? Why the president-elect may not be as worried about the prospects of a gridlocked legislative branch as we are. With Donald Trump made a one-term president, many across the nation have taken a moment to breathe a sigh of relief. Unfortunately for leftists, the momentary feelings of relief have been short-lived after we pause to consider what the next four years under the leadership of Joe Biden, Senator Mitch McConnell, and even Speaker Pelosi are realistically going to look like. Lauren, I don't know why you said, and even Speaker Pelosi. It's easy for me to say Mitch McConnell and Speaker Pelosi in the same sentence and in the same breath. Back to the story. While the left has been grappling with the devastating reality of a Joe Biden presidency coupled with Senate majority led by Mitch McConnell, I can't help acknowledging that for Joe Biden, his wealthy donors, and an administration that promises no fundamental change, these circumstances might be a dream come true. Even days after the election took place, I cannot help thinking about Florida. The state of Florida, where voters pulled the lever for a $15 minimum wage while also voting for Donald Trump, interestingly enough, seems to sum up almost everything wrong with the Democratic Party. Joe Biden, theoretically at least, actually supports a minimum wage increase, but it should come as no surprise that people voted against him anyways since Bernie Sanders addressed Biden's support for the minimum wage increase more often than Biden himself. With overwhelming support for higher wages among the public, why then wouldn't Joe Biden make this one of the highlights of his campaign if he supports such a policy? After all, wouldn't it have been better to appeal to even some of the most uncontroversial among the meat and potatoes issues that the American people care about and pledge unapologetic support to a popular policy as opposed to running solely on platitudes? Perhaps it was just poor campaign strategy. But whether we want to admit it or not, what's more likely is that Joe Biden doesn't actually care about raising the minimum wage. What's more likely is that he didn't have much of a dog in that fight, and a gridlocked government gives him, at least in the minds of his center-right staffers and strategists, the perfect excuse to justify not fighting for it at all. Of course, it isn't just the minimum wage. 
A gridlocked government means no improvements to healthcare at all, let alone a public option. It means no meaningful action on climate change other than the occasional executive order from Biden that likely will not go far enough. It means, in all likelihood, there will be nothing done to improve the material conditions of the working people. In other words, four years of wasted time with the very same conditions that brought us the Tea Party, Donald Trump, and QAnon. At its core, the Democratic Party has little else to offer the American people outside of representation with identity politics and the occasional lip service to the issues that matter to the communities they claim to represent. A gridlocked government ensures that Joe Biden doesn't feel pressured to deliver anything beyond that lip service with the cushy excuse of the Republican Senate as the scapegoat. McConnell certainly won't go to Biden in order to get things done, but we can bet that Joe Biden will be running to him. While Biden uses McConnell as the excuse for no improvements to health care, he'll almost certainly shrug his shoulders and say he's got no choice but to work with him when cuts to Social Security and Medicare are on the board. Cuts, it is worth noting, that neoliberals like Biden and, yes, Obama have been trying to implement for years. If even Obama himself admits that he governed like a moderate Republican, am I expected to believe today's corporate Democrats are actually interested in doing anything to fight on behalf of the people? Meanwhile, the American people just keep getting angrier. Any relief I might have felt last Saturday morning has evaporated. To be honest, I am terrified of what's coming next. Before Biden is even sworn in, just days after he's been declared the president-elect, it seems as though neoliberals and the right wing are actively laying the groundwork for the next Donald Trump in 2024. What else am I supposed to think when Biden might be essentially handing over his cabinet to Mitch McConnell? With each passing election, we get closer to a fascist who will inevitably be far more intelligent, dynamic, and capable with an even angrier right-wing populist movement to usher them in. Meanwhile, the Democrats, as they morph into the Republican Party of a few decades ago, continue to kneecap any left-wing populism that might be building behind them. As mundane as it might be to point out, Joe Biden is no savior. We may have defeated Donald Trump, but as we saw in the last article, we haven't defeated Donald Trump. But the arguably more difficult, dangerous, and complex enemy for the left is the Democratic Party machine. It cannot be stressed enough that if we want to prevent another far more competent, palatable, and smart Trump from coming in 2024, then it's time to focus our energy on the neoliberal forces that helped foster his rise. The forces that are now set to retake power. Joe Biden might not be feeling any pressure to deliver with Wall Street's dream of a gridlocked government in the way, but every single corporate Democrat with primary challengers in 2022 and 2024 certainly will.